and Tom is going to come and pray for our offering. Thank you very much, Michael. By your hands, please. Name of Jesus and kingdom of God. Jesus, thank you, Lord, and kingdom of Jesus, of his Son. In the name of your Father, and your Son, and your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. <laughs> All right. At this time, let's just, uh, let's just start preaching. Why not? Amen. Thank you, Tom, my biggest supporter. <laughs> I want to talk about freedom today, freedom in forgiveness. We're still talking about our series on prayer, and we've been talking about um, the Lord's Prayer over the past number of months, number of weeks, excuse me, and um, part of the Lord's Prayer talks about forgiveness, but there's something about freedom here that is linked to forgiveness. First of all, freedom is something that we all long for, right? Does anybody like to be bound? Does anybody here want to be bound to something or someone else? No, we want freedom. So we're going to talk this morning about how do we really get free and then how do we stay free. And we're going to see how forgiveness is a big part of that. So we've been talking about the Lord's Prayer, and uh, let me ask you, has this been a good study? Have you appreciated getting into the Lord's Prayer? Have you, have you appreciated getting into understanding more about what it means to pray, the way Jesus taught us to pray? It's been a very encouraging study for me, and been very enlightening for me, and has really helped me in my prayer life, and I'm praying that it has you as well. So with that said, would you stand with me, and let's pray the Lord's Prayer again this morning, and let's just... Pray it and invite it into our lives this morning. Pray it with me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Father, we just thank you for that. Jesus, thank you for teaching us how to pray. Thank you for giving us good instruction. And now, Lord, I just pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would just give us some revelation knowledge into how we really live this out. How do we really apply this in our lives and live it? So teach us today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So today we're going to focus on verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Some translations say trespasses. Debts, trespasses. Either way, what we're doing is that we're asking God to forgive us the things that we've done wrong against him. And then also, we're asking him to help us forgive those that have done wrong against us. It doesn't make any difference if it's a debt or a trespass. We're asking him to forgive us. Now, is that easy to do? Is it easy to ask for forgiveness? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Now, if it's not easy, is it worth it? Yes. 
It's absolutely worth it. So sometimes we need to do the harder things in life, maybe, even if they're not easy, but we need to recognize that we need to be forgiven. Maybe it's not easy because it makes us look at ourselves in a light to say maybe we're not all that we think we are and that we have some things that we need to be forgiven for. And that can be a little bit difficult sometimes. And then also it may be difficult for us to forgive other people because maybe they've done some things that have hurt us and that we need to come to that realization that we either need to take revenge ourselves or we need to forgive. So we, need, we come to a crossroads there. What do we do with that? Hopefully we'll figure that out as we talk through the day. What is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Now, I know that as a Christian, this is probably not a new topic for any of us because that goes right with, along with being a Christian. I think we all have a concept of forgiveness. Forgiveness truly is the hallmark of Christianity. I mean, that's what sets us apart. The one thing that separates a true believer from a non-believer is the fact that we've all sinned and we've all deserved death, yet because of God's indescribable love for us, that we can be forgiven of that death sentence and we can be given life, all through the simple act of being forgiven by Jesus. It's an amazing grace that God gives us, that through the blood of Christ, that we can be forgiven and that we can be transformed from a dead man to a living man forever. That's pretty amazing. Forgiveness is a big deal. It's really important. In fact, it's so important that the next verse after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus talks to us about the importance of forgiveness and forgiving. Look at the next verse, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 through 15. It says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So it's very apparent from this passage and over the 140 other passages in the Bible that talks about forgiveness, that forgiveness is an absolute necessity in the life of a Christian person. Forgiveness is one of those topics that either from the angle of you being forgiven or you forgiving other people, it's absolutely the necessity in a Christian's life that we must be marked by forgiveness. So how does that look today in our lives? And what do we do with this? What do we do with forgiveness? What does it really mean? Well, the Greek word that's used in Scripture is translated... I never can really pronounce the Greek words right. We have a Greek scholar here. Phimai, I believe it is. A-P-H-I-E-M-I. Aphimai. Aphimai. Give or take. The important part, it's translated to mean to forgive. And it is widely used throughout Scripture. And it's often defined as to let go, to leave behind, to dismiss, to cancel a debt. No matter how these terms are used, the context of them is that it is in the message that always refers back to God releasing us from our sins, covering our sins, and saying, you owe me no more because I've forgiven you the debt. That's pretty big. It's a pretty big definition. And the important thing here is that it's not only God forgiving us that way, 
But we then are to turn around and do the same thing for other people. God forgave us of a huge debt. And we're then to turn around and forgive other people of much smaller debts, even if it's difficult to do sometimes. There's a canceling of guilt here that is associated with this act of being forgiven. And this canceling of guilt is a big deal because guilt binds us. You know what it's like to be guilty. Come on, go back to your childhood days when you messed up at home and you were trying to sneak back into the house and mom and dad were in bed and you're trying to sneak back in. You know what it's like, Dan, don't you? <laughs> you know what it's like to, to have to sneak back in the house if mom and dad are in bed and you're, trying, and you're feeling guilty all the time. I know what it's like because I've done it. It's no fun. It was at the time, but sneaking in and feeling guilty about it is like scary stuff, man. I hope, I can, I hope the floorboards aren't creaking too loud or dad hears me, you know. Well, I'll tell you what, when you're, when you're freed and, and that debt is canceled, now you have no more guilt and you have no more shame. And you want to talk about freedom? Freedom comes when you have no more guilt and when you have no more shame. And that's the, that's the beautiful part of freedom. That's the freedom of forgiveness, that we can be forgiven and have no more shame, no more guilt. Amen. That is a good feeling. But before we get deeper into the freedom that comes with forgiveness, we need to better understand what unforgiveness does and the destructiveness it brings if it's not properly dealt with. Because if we're not forgiven, then there is much guilt and much shame and much penalty if we're not forgiven and if we don't forgive. Matthew 6.15, we read this, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now this kind of sounds like a what comes first, a chicken or the egg riddle. Okay, um, do who forgives who first? Is God forgiving me of my sin first or am I forgiving people of their sins first? Well, I got to tell you, um, I cannot forgive people of their sin when I'm still a sinner. I, I don't have the ability in myself to forgive people. So it must, there must be a, a time of, 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 of spiritual renewal that must happen in my life before I can literally forgive people the way Jesus forgave me. God is not waiting for me to forgive people out of my earthly, fleshly selfishness before he forgives me because that's impossible. It's impossible because why? Because before I have revelation knowledge of who Jesus Christ is in my life, I'm a dead man. Spiritually, I'm a dead man until Jesus brings me new life. So how can a dead man forgive people? So there must come, I must have that first revelation knowledge of Jesus forgiving me so that I can forgive people. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, talks about our deadness and my sin and that dead man can't forgive. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. The Holy Spirit, who is the 
breath of God that, that was the breath that breathed into that um, pile of earth and clay that God formed man into so many years ago. And when, and, and when the Holy Spirit breathed life into that man, that man became alive. That same Holy Spirit is that same spirit that's breathing life into a dead man today, a dead man that's walking, that is, that's us, until once we receive Jesus Christ, that, that, that breath of the Holy Spirit brings our spirit back to life. And with that now, I am alive, and I can then do the things that I need to do. Colossians 2, 13 through 14, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us, and it condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. That is great news for us today, folks. That is the news that we should be rejoicing from the from the rooftops from because that is the thing that sets us apart today. That is what brings us new life. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for that. There is no chicken or egg question here. God gives us new life as a dead man, and then we are to replicate that life or to bring it alive by breathing new life into broken relationships that we have by forgiving them the way God forgave us. And when I can go into a relationship that's been strained or been broken through unforgiveness and I can breathe forgiveness into that, new, into that old dead relationship, it brings life back into that relationship, just like the breath of God brought life back into us. That's how important forgiveness is. Now, but what does unforgiveness look like? Unforgiveness, I think we all know, it's obvious. It's that I'm mad at you. You've hurt me, and I'm not going to let you off the hook mentality. You owe me an apology. And even more, you owe me even maybe a physical payback, and I'm going I'm to extract it from you. And we all know what that feels like. And over time, if that's not dealt with properly, that unforgiveness turns into a bitterness that totally destroys the relationship we have with that person. And it affects everything that we think about when that person ever comes to our mind because we don't think about that person in a good light anymore. We think about that person in a spirit of bitterness, like they owe me something and I'm going to get it out of them. And that bitterness destroys us. Bitterness is a terrible thing to hold in one's heart because a bitter heart not only defiles you, but it defiles everybody around you. Hebrews chapter 12, 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. It's not just about you anymore. If you have a bitterness in your heart, it, it's, it, it seeps out into, into the relationships around you. A bitter person is not a fun person to be around. A bitter person is one that has a bad taste about them and a bad odor about them. It's, it's evident that they have bitterness in their soul and their spirit. So to forgive then, it means to release, let go, leave behind, cancel all debts that would otherwise create a bitter heart that would turn into bitterness and would destroy you and everyone around you. Not a good thing. Very important that we understand that forgiveness is a tool of the enemy, that it keeps us from continuing in the grace of God, and, it, and it, 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 will, it will change our life. Unforgiveness will change our life 
to the negative, whereas forgiveness will change our life to the positive and will have a huge impact around us. That's why the enemy works so hard to stop us from forgiving people. The enemy does not want you to forgive anybody. Do you know that? The enemy wants to keep you a bitter heart. He wants to make you angry and keep you angry. He does not want you to look at that person that offended you in a good light. Recognize what our battle is against. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, is it? It's not against flesh and blood. Recognize our battle is a spiritual battle. It's an, un it's an unforgiveness spiritual battle that the enemy wants to keep us bound in. And the only way to get out of it is to start forgiving. Now, I know that there are those among us that have really been hurt by people. And these hurts are real. There's some things that have really happened to us that give us a sense of true hurt. I get that. This is not something made up. The challenge here, though, is that I'm asking all of us here to um, look at those things and let them go. And recognize that by holding on to those hurts, only hurt you worse. They only hurt you worse. Holding on to past hurts don't empower you or I to be a better person. Holding on to a past hurt does not make me a better person. Rather, they imprison me and they hold me in bondage to that person or that situation that caused a deep hurt in the first place. The more I hold on to that bitterness, the more I am bound to that person. That's why it's so important to forgive. I want to read something to you from the National Association for Christian Recovery titled, Finding Freedom in Forgiveness. Because being forgiven and being released can be difficult sometimes, too. It says, We have all heard stories and seen movies about people who have spent years in prison, hoping and praying for release. Finally, they are paroled. They are set free. They walk outside the prison walls into wide open spaces. No more bars or guards. No one is watching and controlling their every move. But is freedom really what they expected? No. They step into freedom only to be overwhelmed, disoriented, and frightened. Years of confinement have left them with a strange and twisted sense both of themselves and of the world. Some are tragically unable to embrace the reality of a self that is free and a world that is large with possibilities. So they commit a petty crime to break parole and return to the cruel familiarity of prison life. They are no longer people in prison, but people who have become prisoners. They no longer have an identity independent of the prison. Why is freedom so disoriented, so scary? How can it be so difficult to embrace? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. See, people can develop an identity of becoming a victim of somebody else's doing in their life. And this identity of being a victim can be so empowering that it keeps them from being able to break free of it. It can be so powerful that it even makes them afraid to live without that identity of victimness because they're really not sure how to live in a life that would be free of that identity. The problem here is that we're losing our identity. And this is where I, I want to just focus on our identity for a minute because when we lose our identity in who we really are, life can get really, really weird. 
That is, that is the problem that we're having with all the homosexuality issues and this transgender issues. People are losing their identity and how and who they were created to be. And now they're letting their identity be formed by their feelings, not by who they really are. Let's find out who we are. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make mankind, who's this? God. God is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move, move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We, you and I, are created in the image of God. Our identity is in the image of God, not in my feelings. Not in how you feel about yourself. If you allow yourself to start allowing your image to be created by or your identity be created by your feelings, it won't be long and you're going to be off in a weed someplace because our feelings get really wacky really fast. If you don't feel good because you're sick or if your identity is coming because you've been uh, abused or you've been hurt and you've got a, a victim mentality, then all of a sudden your identity becomes in your identity of a victim rather than a victor and it gets really wacky. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. This is awesome. If you ever question who you are in Christ, go back and read Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. It says, for, you, for God, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knows you. He has a plan for you. He has your identity in his mind and it's already written in the books and it's just for you and I to find that and to live in that. And do not let the enemy confuse you with any other identity. That's the biggest problem we have with sin is that it changes our identity. As a believer in Christ, we are, a, we are adopted, we are children, we are brothers and sisters, we are boys and girls, we are men and women in the family of God where we can look at God our Father and say, Abba, Daddy, Father. And we can, call to, we can go to Him at any given time and He will look at us as a child of God, not as anything less because we have that relationship through the blood of Christ. That is your identity. We all have a destiny and a plan of God for each one of us. That is who we are. The problem is that sin came into the world and the enemy uses the guilt of the sin and the shame to twist us up in our identity in the image of who we are. And that's why there's so much confusion today with sexual identity issues and all the other problems that are happening. We, we, we identify ourselves with our feelings and our desires. See, when our desires and our feelings don't line up with God's desires and feeling about us, that's when we get into trouble. When our feelings take precedence over God's desire for us, that's when we get into trouble. And that's exactly what's happening in the minds of people when they identify themselves by their desires not lining up with God's word rather than what God's saying about them. So how does this impact us with forgiveness and freedom? In this passage we just read about of this lifelong prisoner, freedom was daunting for him. 
because he didn't know what it was like to be free. He spent most of his years in prison where he was told what to do, told what to eat, told what he was supposed to do at any given time, and he couldn't understand freedom. See, the person no longer had a personal identity of free man. He was a prisoner by his identity. And the longer he's in prison, the more difficult it was or is for him to become fully free. For those that are in prison for a relatively short time, they still remember their identity. But for those that have been imprisoned a long time, the longer they're in prison, the harder it is to get out. And spiritually, see, that can be the same way for us. We can have the same problem, that we can, we can take that identity of prisoner spiritually. And then when Christ does set us free, like we talked about this morning, that second touch, we don't receive the first time because maybe we're struggling with the fact that God loves us enough to touch us and change us in the first place. Because we're, our identity is messed up. Because we don't feel like we deserve to be forgiven. We don't, deserve to feel, to, we don't feel like we deserve to come into the family of God. So we have a hard time receiving that. That's the enemy confusing us in who we are. That's why we need to look at forgiveness. Forgiveness says, I, re, I, I replace the guilt with freedom. I replace the guilt with freedom. Yeah, so good. It's so good when we can understand that. Isaiah 61 Jesus, when he was first beginning his ministry, first beginning his ministry, he steps into the temple and he he unrolls the scroll and this is what he reads. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3, Jesus quotes this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom, for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty, instead of ashes, the oil of joy, instead of mourning, the garment of praise, instead of a spirit of despair. This is the freedom that Jesus is proclaiming himself to become, to be for the world that he's coming into. And that's the freedom that you and I can have today. Jesus is the deliverer, and he's the freedom bearer as we exchange our identity of a victim to an identity of victor through Jesus Christ. That's the freedom of forgiveness. What is forgiveness? What is the freedom it brings? Forgiveness is a return to love. And the freedom forgiveness brings is the freedom both to know ourselves as loved and the freedom to express the love of God has placed in us for himself and others. This is what life was meant to be, this loving and being loved freely without shame and fear. That's what I want. I believe that's what you want. I mean, that's that's how we live this life in the midst of the turmoil. We live this thing. One last thing about freedom, and maybe this is the most important thing to be said about forgiving people, is knowing how to forgive yourself. Yeah. I think, I, I think we struggle more with forgiving ourselves than, forgive, than we struggle with forgiving other people. Because why? Because we have to live with ourselves 24 hours a day. I can't get away from myself. I can get away from other people, but I can't get away from me. And so I carry that guilt and that shame with me all the time. Maybe I've done some really bad things. And I just can't get over it. Well, let me tell you, that's bondage. 
And let me tell you that Lord wants to free you from that bondage. You need to forgive yourself. As Christ forgave you, you need to forgive yourself. Yeah. Your identity, remember who you are. Don't let the devil tell you that your identity is anything less than a child of God. You've been forgiven. Now walk in it. Receive it. Don't go back and wallow in it. Don't go back and think about it. Don't go back and say, oh, but no, I've done this. Let it go. Release yourself. And now enjoy the presence of the Father. Enjoy being a child of the Most High God. Paul understood this perfectly as he addressed the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 10. He wrote a pretty hard letter to them because they had some, they had some things that were pretty messed up. So Paul got on them a little bit. And this is what he said. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in, in any way by us. Here's the key. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. There's a big difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is basically sorry that you got caught. <laughs> you got caught in the act. And that sorrow isn't doing you any good because you're really not repentant. I'm talking about how we forgive ourselves here, all right? This is how we do it. We have to go through a process. We have to be sorry, not that we got caught, but sorry that we did it in the first place. If I'm sorry that I got caught, that's not repentance, and that doesn't lead to life. What that leads to is doing it the second time a little bit smarter so that I don't get caught. It makes me more worldly smart because now I will... I don't really want to stop what I'm doing. I'm just sorry that I got caught doing what I'm doing, so next time I'm going to do it again, but I'm going to do it in a different way that I don't get caught. That's worldly sorrow, and that sorrow leads to death. But godly sorrow, however, is true sorrow, not in the fact that you, that you got caught, but it's true sorrow in the fact that you did it in the first place. And you see your sin, your problem, what you, the act that you just did was really hurting God. And you're sorry that you hurt God. And you're sorry that you broke the relationship that he had with you. You're sorry that you had to make Jesus' death seem insignificant because you trampled it in your sin. When you start to see your sin that way, all of a sudden it breaks you to a, a person that you can really start seeing repentance as something that's necessary because now you're sorry. I mean, you're really sorry that you did it. You're really sorry and your heart grieves, and you mourn over the fact that you hurt the relationship with the Father. And that bothers you, and it hurts you, and now you're sorry. And you say, Jesus, I am so sorry. Would you please forgive me? And when you, when you ask forgiveness that way, that is true repentance, because that means you will never go back and do that again, because it hurts you so bad to do it in the first place. You'll never want to go back to that same sin because you've repented over it. And he said, I'm sorry. It broke my heart. 
and I grieve for that. That's the sorrow that leads to eternal life. That's the sorrow that will bring no more condemnation for you because that will bring true forgiveness. And now when Jesus forgives you, now you need to forgive yourself. And you need to say, self, stop it. Stop bringing condemnation. There is therefore no condemnation in those that are in Christ Jesus because he's given us a new life. Amen. Jackie, would you come, please? That's the forgiveness that we need to have in our life. That, and with that forgiveness, we get freedom. If you truly want to live in a free perspective, if you really want freedom in your life, forgiveness has to be part of your life. You have to constantly be asking for forgiveness from the Lord because we make mistakes. I, I make mistakes every day, so I go back to Jesus every day and say, Father, forgive me again. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. And he forgives me. And then I need to recognize that people make mistakes against me too. And I need to be constantly forgiving them. I don't have any right to ask Jesus to forgive me so that I can hold an ought against my brother. I need to let him go. I need to really let him go and release that. See, if I hold an ought against my brother, God's saying, Mike, I can't forgive you anymore. Do you see what you're doing to me by you holding on to that? Do you know what you're doing here? That's what's happening. That's why we have to forgive people. Going back to that article on finding freedom and forgiveness, it says this about self-forgiveness. Forgiveness is a gift which allows me to give up condemnation of myself and condemnation of those who have hurt me. It is a gift which allows me to remember, even if my offender has forgotten, who I am and who they are. Forgiveness is not a gift I can possess, but like grace, as a part of grace, it is given and given and given again as I need it and as I seek it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. The reality is there's nothing that I could do to punish people that have hurt me anyways. There's nothing I could do. So just let it go. Release it. Even if it might happen again, release it. And then confess your sins and repent and let the Holy Spirit bring you into a new relationship with God and with them. He will do that. He's faithful. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, what is he? He is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us our sins and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. That's the God that we serve. There's freedom in that. So this morning, I just challenge your heart as I'm challenging my own to forgive people. It's humbling. It's humbling to forgive. It's humbling to be forgiven. Let's pray. Father, we just love you this morning. We thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your perfect love for us. How you reach down into this miry clay that we live in and how you reach us up out of this dirt and out of the sin that we live in so often. God, thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for that second touch. 
thank you for forgiving us. And thank you for giving us the power to forgive other people. Father, help us to truly realize that the only way we're going to live free in this life is when we forgive others. I have no right. There is nothing good in me to hold on to any ought against a brother or a sister. Even if they hate me, there's no right for me. There's nothing good for me to hold on to that. Help me to release and love and help me to pray for them and anoint them and just pray your blessings on their life. I know it doesn't mean that what they did was right. It might have been bad, but it doesn't make any difference because I release it. I release it. I release it. This morning, I would just ask you to think about someone in your life right now. Just as your eyes are closed, just go back and just examine maybe your heart. Go back and say, Father, is there anything in my heart? Am I not forgiving anybody? Is there an area of unforgiveness in my life? First of all, have I asked you to forgive me? Have I asked you recently, Jesus? Would you forgive me, Father? Pray that right now if you have to. If it's been a while, then pray it right now. Just ask Jesus to forgive you. And he will. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for that freedom, that release. And then go a little deeper right now and say, God, is there anybody that I have ought with right now? Is there anybody that I'm legitimately maybe has hurt me? Or maybe not. Maybe it's in my own mind. But God, would you allow me to forgive that person? Would you bring freedom into my life through, through that forgiveness? Lord, I pray a prayer of forgiveness now. Lord, that we would forgive those that have hurt us. That we would forgive those that have offended us. That we would forgive those that have trampled us, maybe. Or have said bad things about us. Or whatever the situation is. God, truly help us to forgive those people the way you have forgiven us today. And give us that freedom and that joy that we can live in because of that. We receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing the song that Jackie's playing. Amazing grace How sweet the sound That saved a wretch
You know, the Lord brought back a word that was given a few weeks ago by Angel about restoration. About how he's bringing us into an area of restoration. Well, let me tell you, restoration doesn't begin until you forgive. Forgiveness has to come before restoration. So if you think, if there are areas, if you have relationships with family members or people or corporately in this church, if we want restoration, forgiveness comes first. So don't leave this place thinking that you can hold on to forgiveness or unforgiveness and still be restored. It's not going to happen. Make sense? It takes work. It takes work. This is not something easily done necessarily. But I'll tell you, it's well worth it. It's well worth it. When you can forgive people and then allow the restoration that God wants to restore and that freedom and that perfectness in relationship, believe me, it's well worth the effort. Don't shrink back push forward forgive and let restoration have it run its course father i thank you for this right now and i pray blessings on this church today lord as we go to our homes this morning i pray god that we would work in this area of restoration through forgiveness that would give us true freedom i declare that in this church today I declare your blessing on this people today. No more condemnation in this people today. No more condemnation and self-guilt in this place today. Freedom through forgiveness in the name of Jesus and let your restoration be completed as you would have it according to your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise you, Lord.